Kick it up a little bit. Another notch! Bam! A little uh, I'm inspired now! Oh, yeah, baby. Are you with Bam! 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 here at STSA. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Steve, and I am always happy to step in and fill in for Father Anthony whenever I can, and always humbled and um, excited to speak at the well. And if you are joining us here for the first day, or for the first time, you picked, we always say this, you picked a great Sunday to be here, but you actually picked probably one of the best Sundays of the year to be here. Because today, if you haven't noticed, feels like a celebration, doesn't it? Feels like a celebration, even like it almost feels like we should cancel the well. But of course, I've never been one to pass up a chance to speak, so we're not going to cancel the well today. Um, but today's a celebration. And for those of you who don't know, and we've kind of been announcing it, we welcomed six new members into this church family today. And uh, we celebrated the sacrament of baptism this morning for those of you who are here early in the morning. And that was one of those like special times or special services in the church. And Something for me personally, as somebody who was born into the church, I love seeing these people, okay, and again, there's nothing special inherently about these people, but seeing these people go and make this very public kind of profession of faith, they go into the water, and it's inspiring because they come out, and there's almost this, like, look of freedom in their eyes. There's almost this look of, like, joy in their eyes. They're also freezing cold because they're soaking wet, but they're also, like, there is this inspiration in them that's very inspiring for someone like me who was born into the church. So it's a great day. And to be honest, these people, they don't know it, and I haven't actually had a chance to congratulate them personally, but these people are actually the perfect representation of what I'm going to talk about today. And these people are actually an embodiment of some of the things and some of the main points that I wanted to speak to you about today. Now, for those of you who've been following along for the past few weeks, you all see that we've been going through this series called Seasoning Life or Season Living. All, this whole idea of adding a little flavor to your life, doing things and creating habits in your life that make people question why you do what you do and why you are the way you are. And our theme verse was Colossians 4, 5, 6, 4, 5, and 6. It was just up on the screen. It says, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Now, if you've been following along, you know that we created this whole acronym. What was the acronym called? BELLS, B-E-L-L-S. And every letter in the acronym stood for a habit that we wanted to create that would add a little flavor to our life, right? It would, it would cause people to question, why do you do that? Why do you not do what other people usually do, right? So just to go over those habits very quickly to recap, the first habit was blessing three people or blessing people in your life. And that was one of the most exciting ones, that people went out and blessed random people in the street. People blessed coworkers, friends, family. They did something nice for people just because. So that week, maybe you passed by the homeless guy normally. That week, you stood and you gave him a sandwich. I actually know one life group. Okay, there's a life group. And, and for those of you who are in life groups, you know that there was a challenge for each life group to bless somebody. So this life group decided, okay, we want to bless somebody who volunteers here at the church. We want to do something nice for them. So the life group went and we said, okay, let's buy her a, like a gift card, like a tour of DC or something, like a nice gift card. We'll present it on Sunday. It'll be done. So we said, okay, great. So we show up that day, person doesn't show up. We find out that the person actually broke her arm. So 
I said, okay, let's just drop off the gift card and go home. Uh, life group said, nope, we are going to adopt this person for six weeks. And every week we are going to bless this person. And every week people were responsible for checking on her, making sure she had what she needed, getting her groceries, taking her out to coffee, whatever she needed. This idea of blessing people. Okay, and it was one of these weeks, it was a proactive week where people got up and did questionable things to bless somebody they may not even have known. That was the first week. Then we jumped around in the acronym. Second week was all about learning Christ. The whole idea was to learn Christ for a long period during that week. And that was all about what? It was about investing in our relationship with Christ, going deeper in that time with him. It wasn't just kind of the here and now, just like little bits of Jesus. It was spending this time to read and invest in our relationship with him. That was a questionable decision for some people because a lot of people, maybe instead of going out on a Friday night, said, you know what, I'm going to stay home and read and invest in my relationship with Christ. That's another questionable habit of season living. Next one. We said, listen for God's voice a few times that week. This whole idea was all about quiet, just about being quiet. This was actually, for those of you who, who did kind of the majority of them, this was the hardest one especially for kind of someone like me, a little bit more extroverted. This is the hardest one because the other ones were very proactive. Go bless, go read, go eat, go sacrifice, do stuff. This one was all about doing nothing. It was all about speaking nothing. It was all about learning nothing. It was just sitting in quiet so that God can speak to us through the quiet. Again, another questionable decision. Maybe some people woke up a little earlier that, that, that week. Instead of sleeping in, questionable decision, wake up early to listen to the voice of God that week. Then finally, last week, we closed out this whole BELLS habit, BELLS acronym, with the last habit of sacrifice. And that's actually what we're going to build on today. But that, that habit was all about how to sacrifice. And what do we define sacrifice as? As giving up something of value to get something of greater value. Giving up something that has value in order to get something of greater value. And when you think about sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice, of course, and the, the one who ultimately sacrificed everything, is our Lord Jesus Christ. And actually what we're going to celebrate, what Katie was saying in a couple weeks, we're going to celebrate Good Friday. And Good Friday, in my eyes, is beautiful with that new definition of sacrifice because Jesus, okay, the Son of God's life was traded in for the life of someone else. Meaning that Jesus thought that his life was of value, but that my life was of greater value. Isn't that what we just define sacrifice as? Someone who gives up something of value to get something of greater value. So on Good Friday, we come and we look at Jesus and we say, the one, like the second person of the triune God's life is of value, but my life is of greater value. That's what we'll celebrate in a few weeks on Good Friday. But these are habits, okay? What I just described are habits of season living. And the whole goal of these, again, was not just to do them for a week. So you don't just bless people for a week and then stop blessing people. The goal was to practice them and focus on them that week and then build a habit out of it and maintain a habit of doing these things ongoing to create a lifestyle of season living, a lifestyle of questionable living. Today, I wanted to kind of build on that idea of habits and talk about something a little bit different. Because habits to me are little things you do every day, right? That's kind of what like an elementary definition of a habit is. It's kind of little things that you do day by day. Today, I actually want to talk about the exact opposite. I want to talk about big moments in your life that you will never do on a day-to-day -day basis. What I call highly questionable decisions. Again, habits are day by day. Habits are small things. Highly questionable decisions are once in a blue moon. There are moments in your life. There are times in your life where you are presented with a decision, presented with a vision, presented with a mission, and you make a choice. You make a decision. Again, it's not I bless somebody, I give a sandwich to the homeless guy. No, it's I decide 
to bless a, a child by adopting that child into my family for the rest of my life. See the difference? There's a difference. Like, let's just agree at a conceptual level. There's a difference between giving a sandwich to a homeless guy once and deciding to adopt a child. There is a conceptually a difference there. What I'm talking about are these decisions. Decisions that come once in a blue moon, but that decisions that every single person in this room was either faced with or will be faced with. Moments in your life. Now, again, I am not saying that habits are not enough or habits aren't good enough. They're just different. Habits are great and the day-to-day -day stuff are absolutely great. But then there's something else. To me, these highly questionable decisions, I always think about a poker table. Anybody who plays poker out there? I always think about a poker table. To me, like the habits is every time you get a new hand, you throw in, you know, the, the two chips or whatever that are required to play. Okay? And those are kind of, this is my, I help, I bless, I eat, I do these things. That's good. But then there's certain times where the guy across from you, what does he do? Goes all in. Takes all of his chips and he puts them right here. And he calls. This is kind of poker, but he calls. Okay? He says, either you put all your chips in or you leave the table. To me, I believe God comes to each one of us, every single person in this room, God comes to us at certain moments in our life. And again, every person's different. But God comes to us at certain moments. And he slides his chips all in. And he says, I'm going all in. Are you going to go all in? You see how I know this? is This is a, a biblical kind of uh, uh, a teaching. That God has done this. That's actually how you know how God works. Is you see how he's worked in the past. So I look at, the person I always think about with this is Abraham. Abraham was like the king of highly questionable decisions. And Abraham was doing the right thing day by day. And Abraham was doing the right habits. And he was, you know, a good person. He was faithful and he was pleasing to God. And then there were moments. There were moments that God appeared to Abraham and said, that's great what you're doing. Now go all in. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8 and 9. It says, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. Abraham, doing what he's supposed to be doing, doing right by God, God comes to him and says, I need you to make a decision. I need you to decide to leave your land, to leave your home, to leave all of your comfort and go to a foreign land. Live like a stranger and just trust me. And Abraham said, okay, God's really going all in here. I got to make a decision. And Abraham went. And then you know what Abraham learned a couple chapters later? That actually wasn't going, that wasn't God going all in. That was God going half in. God only put half of his chips in. Because then God comes to him a few chapters later and goes really all in. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. This is going all in. When God comes to him and says, here is a highly questionable decision, if there's ever been a highly questionable decision before, here it is. I need your first, I need your son, not your first, I need Isaac. I need the chosen one. I need the promised son. The passages I just read, where did they come from? They came from Hebrews. They didn't come from the Old Testament. Okay, I didn't read the, 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 the Genesis chapters to actually tell the story. Hebrews chapter 11 is the passage that I just read. It's a whole chapter where the writer of Hebrews, okay, talks about all these great men and women who have like passed the test of faith. They call it, it's like cheesy Christian thing, they call it the hall of faith right? Like the hall of fame, okay? They call it the hall of faith. And you know, if you go read the hall of faith, you go read Hebrews chapter 11, you know what you're going to notice? Is you can't get into the hall, of faith, the hall of faith without a highly questionable decision. Every time you go read those people, you're going to see that they had a fork in the road. There was a moment in their life that God appeared to them, that God showed them a choice between two separate decisions, between two separate lines of, of, of life and ways of life. And they had to make a decision. 
So you don't get into the hall of faith without a highly questionable decision. Today I'm going to share three stories with you. You see, I'm not as smart as Father Anthony, okay? He'll come and he'll teach you and, and, and say all these nice teachings. I got nothing to teach you, okay? I can't teach you anything. All I'm going to do is I'm going to share stories with you, okay? It's story time. I was actually telling my son on the way to church that it's story time. I said, like, Daddy's going to talk at the well and he's going to tell stories. So we went and got ready, and all of a sudden I looked, and he had grabbed his blanket like he was going to church. I said, no, no, no. Hopefully the people don't grab their blankets. Um, but it's story time today, okay? I'm going to tell you three stories. They are not Bible stories. They are not fictional characters. They are not fables. They are three real interconnected stories of people that have sat in these seats, that have communicated with you and have interacted with you, and are regular Joe Schmoes, just like me and you. And I want to be very clear, okay, because it can be dangerous sometimes. Why am I going to share these stories, these real stories of real people who made real, highly questionable decisions? Am I sharing these stories to glorify these people so that these people can get as much praise and honor as possible? I promise you I'm not. And I promise you, if the three people who don't know that I'm going to speak about them, if they knew about this, they would have my head on a platter. They would kill me because of what I'm going to share with you. And it's the last thing they would want. I'm not doing it for that. Am I sharing these stories so that you can write down exactly the steps that they did and the decisions they made and go and copy and paste these decisions into your life? Absolutely not. Heaven forbid that you would go and copy someone else's mission, someone else's vision for their life, someone else's calling for their life. That's not why I'm going to share these stories with you. I want to share these stories because I want you to see that these decisions are real. These decisions are possible. I want you to be inspired by them so that when God does present you with a decision, when God does come and show that fork in the road, that you have the confidence and say, this isn't just like a Bible thing. This isn't just like an Abraham thing. This is real people. This is real people who made these same decisions. I can make these decisions. I can have this life. I can be like these people. There's nothing special about these people. That you have that confidence that these decisions, I'm going to show you where they lead to. Okay, you're going to see that these decisions lead to a life of blessing, a life of glory, a life of power. But that's why I want to share these. Not so you copy them. Not so we praise them. I just want to make that clear kind of before we jump in to the stories. All good? Let's jump into these three stories. First story, okay, is kind of the hardest one to explain. But let me give you like a hypothetical scenario, right? Everybody works. Everybody has kind of, pretend that you go to work tomorrow morning, okay? And you stroll into the office and one of your best friends at work, co-worker, comes to you and says, hey, I had a great weekend. I made a decision. Okay, I've decided to switch my career. I'm going to leave this job. And um, I've been thinking that, you know, these last 10 years of me working in this job, I'm going to just give it up and start something completely different. And you're listening. And you say, oh, yeah, and I'm going to, I'll probably take like a 50% pay cut. I say, oh, okay. And then um, I'll probably be demoted probably four or five different ranks, four or five lower ranks. You say, wow, sounds like a winner, right? <laughs> sounds great. And he says, this person would say, um, yeah, I think this whole Fortune 500, like corporate uh, structure and comfort and stability, I'm going to give it up for instability. And all the perks and benefits that I have with this type of career, I'm just going to give it up. And I'm going to start something else. Would you say that's an amazing decision? Would you be so excited for that person? Would you throw like a big party for them and say, congratulations? In our head, what are we thinking? We may say congratulations. We may, you know, pretend that this is a great decision. But we would say this is a decision of stupidity. Forgive the word. Decision of stupidity. We say, hey, buddy, like I know you. You have a wife and kids. A wife and kids. You have a mortgage. Like, think a little bit more rational here. Think a little bit more reasonable. This is a very questionable decision you're making. 
based on like the world's logic, based on what we believe to be reasonable, logical, sensible, we say this is a foolish decision. But this is the decision that one person made. Actually, this person made this decision recently to do all this, to give up all this. And the reason they made it was because God basically laid out a fork in the road, just like I was saying. A fork in the road, that one road leads to comfort, stability, wealth, um, whatever. Everything that else that comes along with comfort, stability, wealth, prosperity, whatever you want to call it. But then, which is nice. Okay, don't get me wrong. That's nice. But then God laid out a second fork in the road or a second path on that road. A path that includes excitement, a path that includes the potential to reach thousands of lives, to bring hope and healing to thousands of people, to touch so many lives, to help so many people in need, to inspire so many people to live out their passions, to do like bigger stuff than these people could ever have imagined. And once that person saw that decision, he was addicted. He was addicted to that, that calling. And this person made that decision. And ever since that, that uh, decision, if I bring up this person on stage, if I bring him up today and you ask him, say, do you ever miss any of that other stuff? Do you regret that other stuff? Do you know what he would say? Remind me again, what, what was that other stuff? R remind me what I, I traded out on? Like, just jog my memory a little bit. Because of everything that God has blessed him with. I think of the verse, Mark chapter 10, where Jesus says, Truly I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecution, skip that part, and in the age to come, eternal life. This person is the living embodiment of that. You give up a job, God gives you a calling. You give up some prestige, God gives you to stand in front of thousands and thousands, to touch thousands and thousands of people's life. And you know the sweetness of God, just in case anyone forgets about how sweet God is. When you make a highly questionable decision, you know what God does? He blesses the decision. But you know what else he blesses? All the other stuff that have nothing to do with the decision. So like if you go to this person and say, like, okay, God blessed the job. But you know what else God blessed? God bless like his marriage and his family life and his friendships and his relationships, stuff that had nothing to do with the decision. Like if God was fair and God was just, he would only bless the decision. But the sweetness of God is that when we make these highly questionable decisions, God doesn't just bless the decision. He blesses the totality of our lives. See, to me, a decision of stupidity equals an abundance of blessings. A decision of stupidity equals an abundance of blessing. That's the end result. So you tell me, play the tape out to the end, that if you make a decision of stupidity, what the world thinks is stupid, the net result, the end result of that is an abundance of blessings. St. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, says, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that, so that in all things at all times, Having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. That's the first highly questionable decision. Decision of stupidity. Second story, okay? And by the way, these are actually all related. And I, I, I hopefully will tie them in, but actually all these decisions are related in a certain way. You'll see it at the end. Second decision, decision number two. Story number two. A few months back, this one actually involves me. A few months back, I was here at STSA, and an elderly gentleman came to me. He was like a friend of mine. His daughter is a volunteer at, at Hope, at the organization, um, uh, the nonprofit. 
And he came to me and we were just, you know, catching up and I was telling him all about the work that Hope is doing and the, the great, you know, programs and projects. And he was so excited and he was so inspired. He was so happy. And he was just like, every time I would tell him new stuff, his face would just light up. And he was so proud of the work that this church and the nonprofit organization was doing. And he said, like, I'm so excited for you guys. And he said, I want to support you guys in any way. So I said, you know, thank you. It was very nice. And then a few weeks later, he came to me. He was like super excited, kind of ran to me. And he said, and full of excitement, he said, I have a 40-foot mobile home, recreational vehicle, RV. Okay, I have a 40-foot RV, and I want to give it to you. He said, I was going to sell it this year. I was going to sell it for about $60,000 and use the money and, and kind of, you know, I was planning on selling it. But instead, I want to donate it to you free of charge. To me, that's highly questionable decision number two. All of the world's logic tells this man, sell the RV like it's his right. He's the one who worked hard for 60 years of his life, built up his wealth, built up, you know, his, 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 his property and his assets. He deserves it. He could use, like, how many of us pass up $60,000, an opportunity to cash in $60,000? Never, uh, who's done that? Like, it's not heard of. He's earned this right. A retired person who could use this for retirement, for traveling, for all these things, it's his right to use that money and sell the RV. But he said, nope. I feel like God wants me to give this RV to you and, like, donate. I feel inspired to do something for you guys and to support you guys. So to me, decision number two is a decision of irrationality. Because all of his rational senses and all of his rational thought was telling him, like, why would you give them the RV? Like, you're not even a volunteer here. Like, you have no affiliation with the organization. Like, why do that? But he ignored his rational thought. He ignored all of this and said, I want to donate an RV to you. And my initial reaction was not, thank you very much, that's great. You know, my re initial reaction was, what the heck am I going to do with a 40-foot RV? <laughs> like, we're a nonprofit. We, we support children in need. Like, what am I going to do? At first, I honestly thought, like, me and my wife were going to travel the world with it. Like, Mateo's going to see the country. <laughs> you know? And the, I said, this is great. Like, this is fantastic. I might sell it for $60,000. <laughs> so, again, we said, like, this is irrational. Like, what are we going to do with an RV? But the more we thought about it, the more we prayed about it, the more we strategized about it, the more we felt like God can use this RV because God can use these highly questionable decisions to bring about amazing stuff, stuff beyond our wildest imaginations. So we began praying and thinking about how we could use this RV at the nonprofit organization. And we came up with something. But before I share what we came up with, because I'm going to kind of announce that, let me give you a couple of statistics for anyone who's a, a numbers person in here, okay? And these are some of the statistics that we researched and actually kind of inspired the decision of what we're going to do with the RV. Let me give you a couple numbers. 7.7 .7 million children in the United States do not have regular full-year access to health care. That's due to a number of different things. Some are uninsured children. Uh, many of them don't have access in terms of transportation barriers and whatnot. 7.7 .7 million children in the United States. Of those 7.7 .7 million children, the majority of them reside in what is uh, deemed health professional shortage areas, HPSAs, of which Washington, D.C., and the D.C. metro area has nine neighborhoods of HPSAs, health professional shortage areas. In another study of pediatric emergency room use, nine out of ten children who were brought in were for treatment of acute conditions that could have been treated in a primary care setting. Meaning, the kids that are going to the RV, uh, to the RV, to the ER, nine out of 10 of them, these visits to the ER could have been avoided if they had access to a primary care setting, just a regular doctor to go to for ongoing care. I'll give you two more. One out of four children with chronic diseases, such as asthma, diabetes, and HIV AIDS, in these health, health professional shortage areas, do not receive proper ongoing care and treatment because of lack of access to this care. 
one out of four. And the last one, before the battery starts dying on me, is close to 50%. Okay, this one somehow, I don't know why it hits me, because I'm a numbers guy. Close to 50%. 43% of children in families with an annual income under $35,000 go more than one year without any medical visits at all. So 50% of children, close to 43% of children in families with an annual income under $35,000 go more than one year without any medical visits at all. So we felt like knowing what we know, seeing what we see, and now having what we have, we felt like there was a door being opened for God to use this RV. So we decided that in 2017, we will launch the Hope Mobile Health Clinic. Little slide up there. There it is. Okay. The Hope Mobile Health Clinic. Okay. And that, oh, thank you very much. <laughs> so you can see, it's just a quick rendering. That was like a, a quick sketch that somebody put together of what the RV is actually going to look like. So the RV currently is now just a regular RV. We're going to be renovating it and remodeling it. You see two exam rooms, a room for lab work, procedures, a small pharmacy, a, a, a full bathroom, a nurse's station, a small waiting area. So that's going to be happening in 2017. And again, see, like, okay, I'm going to take that off the screen because I don't want to focus on the health clinic today because I promise you I could share a lot more about the health clinic. And I promise you this is probably not the last time you're going to hear about it from me before we launch this thing, okay? Today is not about the health clinic. Today's about a decision. Today's about a decision that preempted the health clinic. And that if there was no decision, there's no health clinic. Because one man made an irrational decision. Chose to ignore his logic, chose to ignore his reason, chose to ignore the selfish parts of himself, which said, you earn this, keep the RV, keep the money, do whatever you need with it, and to give it up. And to me, this decision of irrationality equals an infinite impact on others. Because you know the beautiful part is, that $60,000, that $60,000, he could get it, go spend it a year, two years, maybe invest it four or five years, and then when that $60,000 is gone, when it left his bank account, when he may not even have access to that bank account anymore, it's gone forever. That money is gone forever. But this thing, this clinic, however, whenever he, you know, even if he's not around to see it, this clinic is going to be a testament to his decision of irrationality. This clinic is going to outlive him it's going to outlive me. And every time a child gets healed at this clinic, every time someone finds healing there, this decision will be celebrated. This decision will be glorified. And the impact of this decision will be felt for many, many, many years to come. And that's the result of a decision of irrationality. That verse that was up there, Psalm 41, says, The Lord protects and preserves them. They are counted among the blessed in the land. He does not give them over to the desire of their foes. The Lord sustains them on their sick bed and restores them from their bed of illness. Every time, just imagine it. Every time a child walks into this clinic and comes out healed, what this man's decision did will reverberate throughout all the people that are touched by this. He turned a $60,000 come and go, easy transaction, into now an impact that will be felt for generations to come. Again, that's the beauty of these highly questionable decisions, is that their reach, their consequence is far greater than what we see with our eyes. So that was decision number two, story number two, decision of irrationality. First one was decision of stupidity. The last one, decision number three, Story number three. So a few months after the RV guy, okay, and I had spoke to the RV guy, I was having dinner, me and my wife were having dinner with uh, another friends of ours, a couple friends of ours. 
And I was just kind of sharing off the cusp a little bit. And I told him, oh, you know, this guy is going to donate an RV to us. We're going to turn into a health clinic. Just very kind of matter-of-factly. As I began to share about this RV, the, the, the man, the guy I was telling, his face, like, widened. And he, like, there was something in his eyes. You know when you could, like, when someone's listening to you, not, not just listening to you, but, like, there's something inside of them. And I'm talking, and he's just, like, taking it all in. And he is listening, and he's thinking, and the wheels are turning. You can see it in his head. And he starts asking me, like, 10,000 questions. Where's the RV? What condition is it in? Who's going to drive it? How are you going to bring it here? And, you know, where is it now? And, and what are you going to do with it? And all this stuff. I'm trying to answer. And there's something he's holding back from me. And there's something that he's trying to get to with all of these, like, he's trying to beat around the bush with, but he won't just say it. So finally, I kind of asked him. And I said, like, why are you so interested in this RV? Like, it's in California. It needs to come to Washington, D.C. Like, it's not hard. We're just going to drive it over here. So then he tells me, he says, it's been my dream. It's been my dream to, he's an ultra marathon runner. I should have said that. Okay. He runs crazy long distance races, like for fun. It's crazy. So he says, it's been my dream for many, many years to run across America for like a purpose, for a cause, to like glorify God, to do something like above my capability, above my physical limits so that people could be touched, so that people could be inspired. And the only way I can run across America is if a mobile home follows me along the way. See, again, I know more about running across America than I ever wanted to know at this point, because you cannot run across America. There is about 400 miles of land that are, it's uninhabited. You can't like go to the nearest Holiday Inn. There are no hotels, there's nothing. It's just road, it's just dirt. So you need a place to sleep. You need a place to, to, to eat. And, and so you need some type of access. So he says that I would be honored to run across America using this RV to help hope and to raise fun, funding for hope and to raise funding for the clinic and to do this to glorify God and to use this RV and use to make a campaign out of this to do something crazy. So... Again, my, reaction, my reactions are not the best when people tell me this stuff. Like, how do you tell someone that what they just said is completely ridiculous? <laughs> like, he's excited about this, and I'm thinking, this is unbelievable. Like, this is absurd. Like, what are you talking about? You know, run across America? So we agreed. This is my very politically correct thing. We agreed to pray about it, right? When you want to say no to something, you just say, let's pray about it. But we said, let's pray about it, and let's see. And... The problem with praying about it is the more we prayed about it, the more God started opening doors. God started making this a reality. God started giving us this like sense of peace and comfort about it. And every obstacle that was brought into us, God would remove. So on September 10th, Levi Risk, who is a member of this church, and he's going to kill me when he finds out I said his name, Levi Risk, will be running 3,000 miles across the United States to raise $1 million to support the creation of two mobile health clinics, one in Washington, D.C., and one in Los Angeles, California. So he's going to do that on September 10th. And what he's doing, basically what we're going to do is this Run for Hope campaign. We're going to call it the Run for Hope campaign. We're going to officially kick off the campaign on May 9th, about three weeks or about two to three weeks from today. We're going to start it with a Kickstarter. If anybody has heard of Kickstarter, it's going to be like a fundraising Kickstarter for 30 days to raise the first $100,000 to get the campaign going and get us through to September once he starts running. Let me give you a couple of, of numbers about what Levi is going to do starting September 10th. Levi is going to be running 40 miles a day for six days a week. Yeah. Okay, I, I go get coffee. I got to take a break. Uh, for, I got to take a, you know, in between me and here and the coffee, okay? 40 miles a day. You know the Boston Marathon? Everybody know how long that is? Marathon, 26.2 miles. It's a marathon and a half every day. People run the Boston Marathon. They get, they're like out of commission for like six months, okay? He's going to be running 40 miles a day, six days a week. We'll give him Sundays off, okay? 
So he's going to be taking, and again, he's going to kill me when he finds out. I said, he's going to be taking a leave of absence from his job. He's going to be taking his wife with him. And even harder than the 40 miles a day, he's going to be taking his 18-month-old daughter with them. And they're going to be in the RV and uh, uh, driving uh, all together along the way. Again, I'm not going to talk about the campaign. If you really want to know about the campaign, I'm glad. I'll talk to anybody. And we, like, there's tons of stuff going on. The Kickstarter, May 9th, we'll have press releases coming out. Um, we've got videos and promos. Like, if anybody really is interested in the campaign, you go to that website, runforhope.us. Okay, runforhope.us. You find as much information as you need about it. Okay? I don't want to talk about the campaign. If you really are interested, come and talk to me after. I'll give you as much information as you need. I want to talk about a decision. We're talking about decisions today. I want to talk about Levi's decision to do this. Because Levi's decision to do this is a decision of ultimacy. Ultimacy is not like a word you hear normally, but I wanted it to rhyme with another word. So I found a word that ends with A-C-Y, but I was looking at words, and when I found this word, it's really the perfect word to describe Levi. Because the definition is underneath it. It says the state or degree of being ultimate the final or most extreme in degree or size or time or distance. The final or most extreme in degree or size or time or distance. See, the reason I didn't want to talk about the campaign, because if we didn't do the campaign, Levi's decision still exists. Levi's, it wouldn't take away from the decision that he made to leave his job to leave the comfort, to leave the stability, to take his family and do this for three months, a hundred days, to push himself beyond what is reasonable. This is not reasonable, what he's doing. To push himself beyond what is potentially even possible, to push the limits of what he can do for the glory of God. You see, the result of Levi's decision Actually, before I, I, I say that, because that's kind of the last thing. But this is a little bit of a side note with Levi. You know what I love about the Hope Association? Okay, from an unbiased perspective, okay? What I love about the organization that hopefully many of you are a part of and, and many of you in, in kind of uh, support. You know what I love about it? Is there is nothing that we can't use for the glory of God. Because, look, Levi has a passion for running. You know what that has to do with our organization? Nothing. We're not a running organization. Like, we're not Nike, okay? Like, this isn't like, we're not like selling products here, like running shoes. It has nothing to do with this. But I'll take a man with a passion. You bring me a person with a passion and a desire to serve and a desire to glorify God, and I will use anything. And we will find a way to touch thousands of lives. You know what else has nothing to do with the organization? A 40-foot RV has nothing to do with the organization. Like, we're not, like a, we're not REI. Like we don't go, like, hiking and camping. But you give me an RV that's willing to be used for the glory of God, and I will transform the heck out of that thing. I will find a way to use it for the glory of God. So you tell me that hope, like, what we focus on doesn't kind of involve you. Or, I say that's baloney, okay? Because you come with an open heart and a desire to serve, and we will find a way to use your talents, use your gifts, and use your abilities to glorify God. At the end of the day, the 40-foot RV, Levi, the first guy with the job, these are all decisions of ultimacy, if you will. And you know the end result? A decision of ultimacy leads to a legacy. Everywhere this RV goes, like I was saying with the first gentleman with the RV, with the donating the RV. Every time this RV touches the life of a child, what Levi did will be spoken about forever. We're going to make sure that every kid knows when he walks in, he or she walks in to that RV, they're going to know that this man gave up everything for this, for them specifically. That's a legacy. That verse, Psalm 45, verse 17 King David writing to the kings of the earth. And God is the one who's speaking. He says, I will perpetuate your memory 
through all generations. Therefore, the nations will praise you forever and ever. The, the decision that Levi made and Levi is going to make will be forever and ever. Actually, no, I was, this not really anything to do with it, but we were actually talking as a, Hope kind of, we were doing a little strategy session. And we were saying that this whole national campaign will raise a bunch of money. Somebody was actually telling me we should do it every year. Like we should take applications for who wants to do like something crazy and absurd and then pick the best one and every year support it. I said, that sounds like an amazing idea. Like, and they said we should call it the, you know, Run Levi Run or like the Levi Risk program or something like that to, to, to make sure that everybody remembers the type of decision that he made the highly questionable decision that he made. I'm going to show just a quick video about Levi, just so you guys see um, you know, a little bit about him. My name is Levi Risk. I'm a family physician in Warm Springs, Virginia. Um, I'm married to Mandy Risk, and we have an 18-month-old daughter. I'm also an ultra-marathon runner. And I'm a nurse in Warm Springs, Virginia, and we've been married four years. We're here to bring awareness to what the mission is for Hope to build these health clinics. There are so many people out there that don't have health insurance and don't have access to care. Um, and these clinics are gonna provide services for children and families that may not have a way to even get to the doctor's office. So what we need from you is to check out our website and see the details of the RV and what we have planned to serve these populations. And what else we need is that you would pass along the message to others. So I'm, I'm excited to go all in on this journey and I want to invite every single one of you to join me on this run in whatever capacity that you can, um, however way that looks for you. Um, but I think all of us doing this together to build two mobile clinics that can serve uh, the homeless and the, and the children in D.C. and L.A. is, is really worth it. And, uh, uh, I can't wait to meet you and uh, be inspired by you guys just as uh, much as, you know, uh, th this sport has inspired me. And I hope that um, we do get to meet you. I hope that um, in some way that we can cross paths and that we can join together to um, make these clinics the beginning of what we can do um, through being changed. Um, and I know that Levi's going to give it his all. I'm going to give it um, my best. And, you know, we're dragging our little baby with us, hoping that she can get a little bit of that inspiration too now, even at this age. And we would be honored for you to join us in this. Um, you know, it's something that we're really excited about. And we hope that um, in some way that even watching this, you can um, feel differently at the end. I ask you to please share and challenge all your friends and spread the message through different types of social media that you may be able to use, whether it's Facebook or Twitter. Um, I ask that you would hashtag run Levi run and run for hope um, and that we would be able to spread the message. Last thing I'll say. <clears throat> Last thing I'll say. Like I said, the goal isn't to glorify anybody up here. Like the goal is not for you to see this is the best guy in the world. That's not it. Like I said, like these people are gonna kill me when they find out. Okay, that's not the goal. The goal is to show you that there are moments in life. There are moments in life where God goes all in on you, and God invites you to do something special. And God invites you to be a part of something, to be a part of building his kingdom. And these are moments not reserved for the super spiritual or the religious elite. There are moments reserved for people that if they were sitting in these pews, and they do sit in these pews, you wouldn't be able to pick them out of a lineup. You'd never know that they do anything special. 
moments reserved for people like me and you, ordinary men and women. There's a nice quote, his famous poet, Oscar Wilde. He says, to live is the rarest thing in the world. Most people just exist. It is my hope, it is my prayer, that as we take on this whole new lifestyle of seasoned living, of questionable living, adding a little flavor to our life, that we would really begin to live life, experience the fullness, the abundance that God has promised to each one of us and has been promised to us through these highly questionable decisions that we make in our life. Okay? We can stand up for a prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, our dear Heavenly Father. We thank you, Lord, for who you are, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the fact that you are so sweet and so good to us, Lord, that you call us and, and you provide us with these moments, moments to do amazing stuff for you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the blessing of this day, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the blessing of wel welcoming six new people to our church family here. We pray, Lord, a special blessing for them and their families that you would protect them and guide them in all that they do. We ask a special blessing for this church family, that you would show us, Lord, the questionable decisions in our life. Show us the moments in life that we can really be pleasing to you, that we can really glorify you and honor you with everything that we have, with the way that you've created us. We pray all these things in your holy and precious name and through the sessions of all your saints. Here, when we say thankfully, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory.